Some friends of ours here, they've got a three-year-old. The other night, the three-year-old climbs up in the treehouse and then promptly falls right off. Plummets to the ground, smacks the ground, and he was fine. I'm not going to tell a story of a three-year-old with a mortal injury to start a sermon. He was fine. It knocked the wind out of him. Mom and dad rush over. They pick him up and brush him off, and he's crying. As soon as he gets the breath back, he's just crying. And Dad takes him inside, sits on the couch. He wraps this boy up in his arms, and he just buries his head in his dad's chest. He's just crying. But then he stops crying. He looks down at his son, the dad, and the boy looks up, and this smile just spreads across his face. And he says, Dad, I didn't know I could fly. <laughs> and dad said, Dad's telling me the story. Dad said, no, 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 no. That wasn't actually flying. That was falling. You can't fly. Don't try it again. You know, this was not one of those moments where you're like, you can do anything you want, son. No, this was not that moment. Okay, you can't fly. Well, why can't he fly? Well, it's gravity. Gravity's why he cannot fly. Right? And I know, I mean, the Wright brothers, airplanes, there's like jetpacks and stuff. Now, I know all that. Okay, but But the reason this three-year-old needs to know he can't fly is because he lives in a world, in a system that is governed by certain rules. One of those rules is gravity. What goes up must come down. There's all kinds of other rules that that dictate the the world around us. You know, there's not just scientific rules, there's economic rules, there's political rules, there's even rules about how humans interact, and those rules govern everything around us. So people that think about this that you and I live in a system that is bounded, okay, where there are certain things that just aren't possible. To do those things, like fly, would require a power from beyond this bounded system or what is sometimes called a closed system. There's limitations here on Earth. And the power to fly, for example, you have to go to Neverland for that, right? That's just not possible in this closed system. And most of us believe we live in a closed system. Most of the world operates that way. In fact, we're going to come back to this, but even you and I sometimes live like the world that we're living in is a closed system. Let me give you another example of what a closed system might look like so you can kind of wrap your mind around this idea because we're really going to dig into it in this sermon. Think about your car, your car's engine. Your car's engine's made up of a bunch of parts. You've got the carburetor, the radiator, the pistons, the belt. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I don't. You know, I've told you all the story about my mechanic prowess. Remember, I didn't change Lindsay's oil for five years. I've told you that story. Car didn't make it. Um, <clears throat> but in an engine, you've got all these parts, and they're all working together. And so as the, as the car's, you know, just chugging along the road, if you were to open that hood and look inside. All of these pieces are working together to keep that car moving down the road. And as far as the carburetor knows, as far as the radiator knows, the engine is a closed system. Okay, it's working because that's working, that's working because this is working, and there's no outside influence in the system. As the car moves along the road, if you were just to take a snapshot of that engine at any moment in time, it would appear to be a closed system. There's no outside influence from outside the engine. But you and I know that somebody had to turn the key to get the car started. You and I know, and it's a real drag, that every couple hundred miles you got to pull over and put gas on the engine. Uh, We know, and I know now, that 
every once in a while you got to change the oil too, right? Okay. Now, as far as the engine knows, it is a closed system. If you were to ask the carburetor, carburetor, is there anything outside this system influencing you? The carburetor would say, would say no. But what happens when the engine breaks? You know, as advanced as cars are, I've yet to find a car that's learned how to fix itself when it breaks. If you know of that car, let me know. Because the problem with the closed system is that closed systems can rarely fix themselves. When an engine breaks, when it breaks down, what do you need? You need a mechanic. You need somebody to come and tow that car to the shop. You need a mechanic to open up the hood, to look inside, and then to begin to work on fixing what's broken. Okay, I want you to think about that as we dive into these stories we've been reading this morning. These stories where one after another, we have this succession of miracles by Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, I, I was tempted to treat each miracle separately, and each miracle is making a little bit of a different point. But on the whole, I think these miracles are grouped together in a series to move towards one point. And that point is a clarification about the world that Caroline is now living in and the world that you and I are living in as followers of Jesus. And so I want, you know, I want to dig into kind of the big picture of what these miracle stories are trying to get us to see about the world around us. And I think that metaphor of this car engine that believes it's a closed system but actually has outside influence may help us to understand what's going on here because, like we've said the last few weeks, what we find in Mark is good news. So somehow, these miracle stories that happened to people long ago, people were healed long ago, demons were cast out long ago, somehow these stories were not just good news for those people, they're good news for me. So let's dig in and see if we can understand how that is. But first, I want us to think about the people who first saw these miracles or first heard about these stories. Because although you and I live in a system that is, if not closed, mostly closed, the people in Jesus' time lived in a wildly open system. Okay, to stick with the metaphor we've been using, they lived in a system where the hood was popped off the engine, and there were all kinds of mechanics gathered around the front of your car, reaching in, tweaking on bolts, tightening screws, messing with the stuff that happens to us every day. That there's all these powers from outside our world that are constantly influencing everything that happens to us in the world. So that's why... You know, if you were to walk around an ancient city, you'd see an idol right there. You'd see a shrine right there. You'd see a temple right there. Over on this side of the street, you'd have another temple, another shrine, another idol everywhere you looked. Okay, have you ever thought about why that is? Okay. It's because they believed that all of those powers represented in those temples and shrines were influencing their lives. And so the message was, as you walk down the street, hey, don't forget, you live in an open system where there are all kinds of powers messing with your day. And so you better keep them happy. And the last thing you want is a mechanic that doesn't like you. You know what I'm talking about? But you want a mechanic that you can trust, that you can depend on. And so you need to keep all these powers that are influencing the world around us happy. So Jesus walks into that open system. It's a different system than you and I live in. We're going to talk about that in a second. He walks into this open system where there are all these powers influencing my life. And this is the first thing he says. This is in verse 15. Now's the time 
Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Okay, what he says is, here comes God's kingdom. Or in other words, here comes the power of all the powers that you believe are out there influencing your life. Here comes the power that has authority over all of those. Here comes the king. And so I want you to not only believe that God, this great power is now coming to work on and in the world, but I also want you to trust that this is good news for you. In other words, I want you to trust me, the one who is delivering this news about God, the King coming down and now getting his hands dirty in the machinery of our lives. To stick with our metaphor, we've now got the best mechanic, the one with the most authority who is coming to work on the car around us. Okay. So the people recognize he's making a statement about God's authority. So look what they say. This is in verse 22, Mark 1, 22. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with what? Authority. Not like the legal experts. They realize that Jesus is not only making a statement about God, the king, the best mechanic who's now coming to work on the machinery of our lives, but he's also making a statement about himself. He's saying that I am the one God is sending to fix what's broken in this system. And I have the authority to do it because my authority comes from outside this system. And they like what they're hearing. They like the sound of that. Um, but they don't know if they can trust him. You know, it's hard to find a mechanic you can trust. You know what I mean? And they don't know if they can trust him, so they need proof. So what does Jesus do first? Well, we might, you know, we could probably think about the ways that Jesus could prove he's a good mechanic. But remember the system that he's in. This is an open system. It's not a system where you are on your own in this life. It's a system where there's all these other powers that are constantly working on my world. They're kind of constantly influencing things and tweaking things and messing with my life. If you got an image of this, you'd have like 20 mechanics gathered around the hood of the car. All of them are reaching in, messing with things. So what does Jesus have to do to prove he's the mechanic with real authority? He's got to kick those other mechanics out. So the first thing Jesus does, the first miracle of Jesus is he comes in and what does he do? He sends away the demons. And notice, what does the demon know? The demon knows that Jesus has authority. The demon recognizes that before the people in the story. You know, the message that's coming to these first people who saw and witnessed what Jesus was doing was that this guy has an authority that is greater than any other authority working on or in our lives. This is the one I want to take my car to. I don't want to trust it to a guy who has to flee when this mechanic shows up. I want the mechanic with real authority, the king. And Jesus is declaring, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. But here's the thing. You and I don't live in an open system for the most part. Most of the people that we know don't believe the world is truly open. Uh, we could talk, we could 
kind of have a history lesson of how it is that the hood of the car gets closed and we, we go from believing that there's all kinds of mechanics working on our lives to believing there's one mechanic that's working on our life to believing that nobody's working on our lives. We kind of do a history lesson on that, but one of the big influences in that trajectory of believing that what you see all around you is all there is, what people are capable of is the only hope the world has and that there's no outside influence in this system. Where that comes from by and large is from science. I'm a, I'm a big science fan. I wasn't any good at science, but I appreciate, I appreciate science. Um, one of my mentors, he had this to say about science, and this isn't an anti-science term. Again, I appreciate science, but he had this to say. He said, just because physics helps us to build a bridge doesn't mean it can give us the meaning of life. And so, you know, if we were kind of trace, trace the trajectory of human thought as it relates to God, a big piece of it is the advent of science helping us to understand, to label and identify the things we see in our world around us. And once we're able to better understand them, we don't need the hocus pocus or the miraculous to explain how they take place. And so slowly the hood of the car gets, gets closed down. But C.S. Lewis, I needed a C.S. Lewis quote in here. Uh, C.S. Lewis makes the point that observation of something the truth of something, is not the same as creation. He says it like this. He says, in science, we've been reading only the notes to a poem. In Christianity, we find the poem itself. All right, what the miracles of Jesus are doing, are, they're inviting us to live into the whole poem. Like I said to Caroline a moment ago, they're inviting us to move into a different world. A world in which I believe and I live as though the miraculous is possible. That the engine is up and that God is reaching in through his son, Jesus Christ, to fix in my life the things that are, that are broken that no one else can fix. The, the miracles of Jesus are inviting me to live into a different world. A world where I, I'm not convinced, I'm not hopeless that the only progress that's going to happen is the progress that I'm capable of or the people around me are capable of. A world where I actually believe that God may intervene for my sake and for his glory. I mean, that's the world the miracles of Jesus are inviting us to live into. What does that look like? A few years ago, Highland hosted two events. There were uh, national Church of Christ gatherings here in Memphis that Highland hosted. of uh, Those in our movement who care deeply about racial reconciliation. I'm so thankful for our leaders for supporting this. They've been doing this for a long time. They care deeply about that. We went to a retreat center here in town and we gathered, you know, leaders from this movement from all over the country. And, I, you know, we come and we're thinking, you know, we are going to figure this stuff out. We're going to solve this problem in these two days. And I'll never forget Dr. Jerry Taylor, one of my mentors, a leader in our movement. He speaks up. We're all whispering to each other. We've got our notepads out. We're writing things down. And his booming baritone blasts out over the group. And he says this. I'll never forget it. He said, the demon." The demon of racism will only come out through prayer. And so we all put our notepads down, and for two days we just prayed. That's a different world than we live in often, isn't it? 
It's a different world. I got a call from a woman at Highland a few years ago. She was interceding for another woman at Highland whose marriage was falling apart. And um, she was kind of on the front lines of things with this woman. So she called me to bring me into the loop to see what Highland could do to support this woman, this family, and the man on the other side. And she said, can we pray about this? I mean, we were talking strategies and stuff, and, I, and I'm, yeah, this is what Highland can do, and, and we could get her on, on the phone with counseling right now, and we could get her in a safe place. We can do that right now, and I'll never forget. She said, could we, could we just pray about this for a second? Oh, yeah, I'm the minister supposed to say that. I said, yeah, we can pray. She said, can I pray? Well, yeah. I'll never forget what she prayed. This is what she prayed. She said, dear God, Satan is on the move. She said, Satan has attacked this woman, her family. And God, I pray that you would defend her. And she said, I pray God for Eric because he's about to stand in the gap for this woman too. And I think Satan's going to attack him and his family. She said, Satan's already attacking mine, God. You know that. I need you to remind Satan he has no place here. I said, amen. Okay, that's a different world, isn't it? That's the world the miracles of Jesus are inviting us into. It's a, mirror, it's a world in which we are awake to the fact that the hood is open. And because the hood is open, there are all kinds of powers that are trying to influence our lives for their own purposes. But we believe that there is one with authority who is sending them away on our behalf. One with authority who, when we pray, responds and reaches into that engine and gets his hands dirty for our sake. That's the world that the miracles of Jesus are inviting us into. But here's the thing. Sometimes you and I don't live in that world. Now, I know, I know that we, we often say things like, I'll pray for you, and let's pray for the miracles of God. Let's pray for the miraculous in this. It's going to take a miracle. I'm going to pray about this. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? I think there's all kinds of times where that struggle that we deal with as Christians to believe and trust in the miraculous power of God his intervention in our world. There's all kinds of times where that shows itself. But you know where I've seen it lately? And this is, this is going to be a little delicate. This is going to be a little tender. I've seen it in our politics. Eric, that's the thing we don't talk about. Um, you know what I've noticed with Christians on social media about politics? Is that many of them have the same despair and hopelessness about this current political moment that the rest of the world has. I think they have the same obsession with ensuring that their candidate or their platform gets power that the rest of the world has. I've been thinking about that. Why is that? Or, or, or what is that a signal of? And I can't help but think that that's a signal that our world is closing in on us. 
And that despite what we say about, I'll pray for you, and I'm hoping for a miraculous, that many of us believe if a savior is going to fix this world, he's going to come from inside the system. Closed systems don't fix themselves. Radiators don't fix carburetors. Do you understand that? Okay, and this is why Paul keeps saying this. He says this, our citizenship is in heaven. And we look to, we look forward to a savior that comes from where? There, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is what I want you to hear this morning, church. Don't lose sight of the most fundamental Christian commitment there is. The commitment that Caroline made when she went into that water, and that is that my hope does not come from within this world. That my hope comes from heaven. My hope is in the one who has authority that comes from there. And as I look around at all the authorities in this world, if they don't have the miraculous power of God, then frankly, they don't have what it takes to fix this world. It's not that politics don't matter. It's not that policies don't matter. It's not that your vote doesn't matter, but my hope is in the one who can actually fix things. The one whose power is from heaven and breaks into this world. And this is why my hope's in him and nowhere else. This is why. It's because the break in our system, the flaw in this closed system is catastrophic and Jesus labels it, he calls it sin. Here in the last miracle story, and I think all the stories are building towards this miracle story, we have this man who's paralyzed. He's got these friends who want to get their paralyzed brother to help. And this story is taking on new meaning for me in the last few years. You know that <clears throat> my father-in-law was in a bad accident, is paralyzed. Many of you know we've got a brother here at Highland who's in an accident shortly thereafter and is paralyzed. And I think about those two brothers of mine, and I think what I would do to get them healed. I mean, don't you feel the same way? It is no small task to lift up a grown man, but here you have these guys who lift up their friend and they carry him to a rooftop, they cut a hole and they lower him down. They want so badly for him to be healed and they lower him down. And Jesus says this, verse five, child, your sins are forgiven. And you got to imagine that he, in this moment, that his four friends looking down the roof at their friend, you got to imagine that they're disappointed. His sins... Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, it's not his sins, it's his legs. Did you miss that? Right. And you gotta know he's the most hopeless of all of them. He has prayed more than anybody else that God would reach in from heaven and fix him and God hasn't done it. And you gotta imagine that the system has closed down for him. He doesn't believe the miracle is possible anymore. Who could blame him? He says, it's not my sin that's my problem, it's my legs, Jesus. And Jesus says, you're wrong. You're wrong. He says, if I could show you what sin will do in this system over the next 2,000 years, you would not believe it. Sin is going to drive families apart. It's going to be what keeps families from staying together. Sin is what's going to cause nations to go to war and bomb each other, send their young people off to die. That's what's going to happen because of sin. Sin is what's going to cause people who are my believers, people who profess my name, to be ugly to one another on social media over something like a mask. 
That's how powerful sin is. He said, if I could just show you 2,000 years from now, you'd say, Jesus, don't worry about my legs. You're right, sin's my problem. Sin's my problem. And Jesus says this, so that you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat and go home. Do you know what faith is? Faith is not... It's not just accepting that Jesus is king and sits enthroned above. Faith is believing and is choosing to live in a world where the king has come down from that throne and regularly reaches into this world, gets his hands dirty for you. And because I have that kind of faith, because I believe this, I am not hopeless when I look at our world and its brokenness. Because I know that what is truly dividing us, what is truly breaking us apart is a problem that is deep inside the human heart and it's the problem of sin. And I know how sinful I am, how deeply that is buried inside me. And so I know it would take a miracle to get my sin out of here. It would take a miracle greater than healing Simon's mother-in-law. It would take a miracle greater than healing the skin of a leper. And as much as I want my father-in-law to walk again, it would take a miracle greater than that. You know what kind of miracle it would take to get rid of my sin? It would take a miracle like being dead and then being alive again. Okay. And so, when I go to the ballot box in a few days, and when you do too, I'm going to look it over. And if no one on that list has that kind of authority, I'm going to keep my vote in perspective. And I'm going to live the next day and the one after that in submission to the authority that comes from heaven. And I'm going to believe with all of my heart that if this world is going to be fixed, it will be because of him.